the Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Welcome to Links and Locks, Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello of Action Network, and I'll be joined every Wednesday here by my co-host, Spencer Aguiar and Nick Bretwish. Today, we'll be previewing the course at the President's Cup and covering, first off, the course preview, as we just said, and the format of the President's Cup. It's a little different from the Ryder Cup. We'll also be looking at which players we're looking to bet and fade, as matchups haven't been announced, so we don't necessarily want to blindly bet everything. We'll also look at any other bets that the guys might like. And then finally, we will look ahead to the Sanderson Farms and whom we'll be targeting on Monday morning when odds drop because our podcast drops on Wednesdays. We want to get you guys a look at some of the names we're betting on Monday morning before a lot of that value is sapped out by the time we get our podcast out there to you on Wednesdays. So without further ado, let's get into it. Spencer, the course this week is Quail Hollow. We actually didn't see it on the tour this year. What are the key statistics and factors at Quail Hollow this week? Well, one of the first things I'll say before I get into that is, as you mentioned, we didn't see it on tour this year. And the best way I would describe what we're getting here is to imagine if your favorite team in another sport got to change everything in the arena or stadium to suit their advantage for the week. We always know that length is going to be a benefit for the United States, but the par 71 nature of this being over 7,500 yards will only further emphasize that edge. We have Bermuda Greens. I do think that the distance is, as I said, it's going to be a big advantage for them. Nine of the top 12 golfers in this event are United States when it comes to distance. And all of that's great from a modeling perspective, but we do have a few issues that come into play with such a USA heavy projection across the industry. If you look at any of these markets right now, the United States is minus 700 to win this. When the head-to-head matchups come out, it's going to be all the United States players as the favorite. And it's not a shock. They're 11-1-1 in this contest. But I think one of the big things that comes down to it is my model is also mimicking a lot of those projections. So eight of the top 10 players for the week were from the United States in my model. That's not too dissimilar for books with 10 of the top 12 projected scores coming from the United States. So I think a lot of this gets better internalized when we see actual matchups for day one. There are so many uncertainties at this point when we're playing a guessing game to find value. But to very quickly talk about some of the stats that I looked into, weighted proximity, especially from 150 plus yards, 72.9% of shots have taken place from there over the past few years at this course. Driving distance and strokes gained off the tee will be critical. Strokes gained around the green since we do get a 3.3% increase in dispersion of importance of that category. I looked at GIR percentage and putting on fast Bermuda green, specifically from five to 10 feet. When you look at match play in general, you need to make putts. And then just a recalculated outlook for the par three, four, and five scoring metrics. Unfortunately for the international squad, the par five discrepancies are massively weighed against them. It's one of the reasons why my model believes that the minus 700 price is somewhat indicative of what we're going to get this week. But as I said, it doesn't mean that we can't find value on the international squad. And I think that's probably the route we're going to have to go when we do look for head to heads. Love it. Before we get into any more bets, Let's just give a quick overview of the format of the President's Cup because people might be a little bit more familiar with the Ryder Cup. So on Thursday, we're going to have five matches total, which is different from the President's Cup where you have four matches total. So instead of eight of the 12 players playing, it'll be 10 of 12. So it's going to be a little bit harder 
to hide the players down at the bottom of your rosters. They'll have five matches, which will either be four ball, which is best ball, or alternate shot. So it will all be either four ball or foursomes. And then the next day, it will be the reverse. And foursomes, alternate shot, four ball, best ball. The names get annoying, but we'll get over it soon. And then on Saturday, there are eight matches total, which will be four four ball, which is best ball matchups, and then four foursomes, which is alternate shot in the morning and then in the afternoon. And then on Sunday, you get 12 matches, which are all singles matches. Everyone plays. And then you have a combined total of 30 points. So the winning team needs to get 16 or 15 and a half points to win it all. If not, if there's a tie, then the U.S. retains the President Cup. With that out of the way, let's get into what we like. So first off, the bet we've already alluded to in the market, USA minus 700, the international team plus 700. Are we biting on the international side at plus 700? I, don't th- I think the U.S. is pretty unbettable at minus 700 alone. Are we not betting on the internationals because they didn't include Jason Day on the on the team? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think from a value perspective, this is what Nick and I always talk about when we do shows together. Like a closing line value is important, but if the ticket is dead in the water from the start, like closing line value doesn't necessarily mean that much. So I would be aware of that. I think there are international players and I'd like to ask both of you guys this question, I guess, before we get into this, because Roberto, you brought up a really good point when you mentioned that with the five matches on Thursday and Friday, you're not really able to hide players. And I think that's where the problem comes into play for the international squad. I have the bottom four players being international players, like just very quickly, if each one of you could give me, I guess, two names, like who do you think are the two weakest players on the international squad that you're trying to hide? I would say Christian Bezadenhout. And then probably no surprise here, Mito. I, Mito's iron play is good. And from those proximities, grades out quite well for me. But the off the tee game kind of scares me a little bit. I would go with Mito and then certainly Christian Bezadenhow because this course is probably just a little too long for him. Same question to you, Roberto. Yeah, I'd agree with out. I think that if the putter gets hot, he's someone who's intriguing and who maybe I could maybe bet live. I think that's the one wild card aspect with him. But definitely off the tee and doesn't inspire much confidence in me. Next slowest, I'd say maybe Sibu Kim, just because he's erratic, not as consistent as someone that I'd like here. And also not great course history, not somebody who is super long. So those would be probably my two. So to very quickly answer that question for me, this is going to be a unique answer here. I think if we're looking at foursomes, Sebastian Munoz has to be taken off the board. He's too erratic. But if we're looking at four ball play, I kind of like the idea of putting Siwoo Kim and Sebastian Munoz together and just saying whatever you guys are able to do, try to make birdies out there, super volatile approach. It's kind of the same reason why Cameron Davis, Taylor Pendrith, I think those two guys make some sense putting them together. But my model, at least if I'm looking at it, the two weakest players would be Sebastian Munoz and Mito Pereira for me. I kind of like Christian Bezadenhout. I'll throw that out there. I think that the putter can be a bit of a spot where he can add a great emphasis to his team. And guys, before we go further, I want to talk about something else of the format. We mentioned that there are more players playing uh, each day, at least Thursday and Friday for this event compared to the Ryder Cup. But also there's in the Ryder Cup, you have your captain for one team list out. I want these two guys playing together, these two guys playing together in spots A, in match A, B, C, D, E. And the other team does the same. And so they blindly pair these matchups up against each other. Whereas here which I like this format a lot better, they have a snake draft. So if Team USA has the first reveal, they say, hey, we're putting Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley together. And then the international team can say, okay, well, we're going to lose this matchup. We're going to put 
Munoz and Bazaden out together. And we're just going to lose that one matchup and we're going to get our two worst guys out of the way so we can try to maximize our chances everywhere else. So there's a little game theory going on in this format, which I like that a lot. And I think that can be used to help out the internationals a little bit more than maybe it could in the Ryder Cup. And then another thing we haven't mentioned, it's four days instead of three. The Ryder Cup starts on a Friday. This one starts on Thursday, both end on Sunday, which means more golf for us to watch and more golf for us on Thursday and Friday, more importantly, when we've got fewer other distractions out there in the world. No, it's a good point with it. And I don't know what the upside actually is from the international squad. Like they're going to have to be precise. Immelman's going to have to put together the optimal build. And, you know, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, because I want the United States to win, but unfortunately, like I have an idea of how I think he should do it. It doesn't mean it's the right answer, but he's going to have to take chances. And I'm not so sure that those are the chances he's going to take. I think captains oftentimes play things a little bit too conservatively we'll see what he does. And he doesn't necessarily have the pieces. Like when up front you lose answer and Neiman and Cameron Smith, you've already lost all your big guns to begin with in this, but it's going to have to be an aggressive approach. I think you're going to have to really lean on players like Adam Scott, Sung JM. Hideki is an interesting one. Nick and I always are talking about Hideki and maybe there's a little bit more name recognition there than where I think he's actually at right now with his skill set. Injuries have kind of derailed some of his season at least in the last little bit but it's gonna have to be an aggressive approach that they're gonna take and we'll see if Immelman goes that route or not speaking of aggressive approach do you guys have any bets that we want to make blindly before we know about any matchups or can we get into guys that we think might have some value go ahead Nick yeah so I I guess it's blindly no matter what I think the best price Jordan Spieth as the top U.S. captain's pick at plus 330 so Spieth is long off the tee, surprisingly. He's getting longer every single year. He's, I guess my issue with him in my modeling is that he's not very accurate off the tee. That seems to be where he gets into his issues. But with the short rough here, it's not going to be very penal. So anything like that, I'm not worried about him spraying it off the tee. His proximities and the weight of proximities like Spencer was talking about from 150 plus look great for me for both out of the fairway and the rough. But the thing I kind of looked at, and I don't know if I'm looking into it too much, but there's only three guys on the American team that hit the Pro B1X. And the guys like JT, or all JT, Cantlay, and Speeth. To Speeth, it matters a lot because he's such a short game magician. And I really think the ball that he uses is, is very important to his game. He obviously studies his game, all the metrics that he puts in, all the data that he collects to make sure his spin rate's optimal, his launch angle, all that. The ball does matter to these guys. To a nine handicap like myself, I'm just going to pull out whatever, you know, whatever ball's in the bag. But to Speeth, I really think there's a little bit of an OCD thing there. So that kind of puts me at thinking that he's going to get paired with JT or Cantlay. And JT or Cantlay are two of the top four favorites in the field in terms of top point scorer. And if Spieth does get paired with them with my little conspiracy theory that they will pair him up just simply due to the ball that they hit, I think there's significant value at him being, you know, a little bit more of a long shot as a U.S. top captain's pick. So are you guys looking into the ball at all? Because, like, I mean, Hideki hits Rickson. No one in the field hits Rickson. So obviously they're going to have an issue there. If it is an issue, I don't know if it is. I don't know if bookmakers are looking at it. But when I saw Jordan Spieth at plus 330 to be the top captain's pick, I kind of have that price right around plus 275. So that seems to be the most valuable ticket that I could find. But again, that's basing it off of a, a weird tinfoil hat here that they're going to pair him up with JT or Cantlay simply do the Pro B1X. I would say almost certainly. I guess I won't talk about the ball for a second, but I'll go the other route that you went with it. So I think it's going to be Xander and Cantlay together. 
I think if you are correct, it will be Justin Thomas and Spieth. And I guess we're speaking- and they, sorry to cut you off real quick, but they were paired at the Zerk, right? They're paired everywhere together. Yeah, I mean, they won. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they won. Like, I guess the thing is with it, with Spieth, if you're looking directly at a captain's pick and my model doesn't like him. That's the first thing with it. But the one thing he has going for him is we know that he's most likely going to play with Justin Thomas. And if that's successful, enforce some action, might try it again in four ball. And then all of a sudden, this could just like get that rollover effect to where all of a sudden Spieth is playing more matches than you would expect him to play. It's a very volatile pairing. I don't know if I love Spieth and Thomas together as much as those two seem to think that they're great together with it. And they do have upside to it. But if we're looking for captain's picks, he, I guess, would have the best chance to get into the most matches if things start hot for them. And that is where the intrigue comes in. And when I get into my play, I kind of went the opposite route with it. And I'll let Roberto answer the question before I do that. But you're kind of trying to anticipate matches more than anything. And so if you think there's a better chance that speed can get in, I don't know, let's say four matches or even the full allotment of five matches, all of a sudden that bet looks just so much better. Yeah, Spencer, I think you guys have hit the nail on the head here. I love the golf ball angle. It's not something I had considered. But when you talk about how it's just JT and Cantley as the other options, and it sounds like from everything that I've heard, Cantley and Shoffley sounds like it's going to be the partnership for the weekend. And that would mean JT and Spieth, who have been partners before, would be together. And that makes a lot of sense. They've got the camaraderie. JT has the all-around game. JT's also won a major here, his first major in 2017 at the PGA Championship at Quail Hollow. So I love that. And then we talked about the increased length for Spieth, which means he might have a propensity to perform better at this course than he has in the past. As we know, length is very important. And then when you look at the other captain's picks, Max Homa, Billy Horschel, Kevin Kisner, Colin Morikawa, Spieth, and Cameron Young. I don't think Kevin Kisner is going to play a ton this week. He's not very long. I think he's clearly the worst player on the U.S. team. Billy Horschel it's going to be interesting to see who he is paired with at the Zurich. He was paired with Sam Burns. And I really like that pairing. Horschel, we know has had a lot of success at Austin country club for the Dell match play like Kesner has, but this is a very different course. And so I don't think you can make too much of that. And then going back to the other players, Colin Morikawa, I love betting on this guy to win outright, but I don't love his putting. And in an event like this, where you stick it closer than somebody, and then they, rain in a 20 foot putt on top of you. It can be really demoralizing to get into your head. And that's another reason why I like Spieth because of his great long putting clutch factor. He can hit it into the woods and then hit it to 20 feet. When you went fairway green, 10 footer, and then he makes a birdie somehow. And you're just sitting there like, man, this 10 footer just got a lot tougher. And I think that's a factor this week psychologically. And he almost died this year at Pebble Beach. So he's playing with free money. Um, so I like Jordan <laughs> Spieth. I like this pick a lot at plus 330. And if we get confirmation on some of these other guys not playing with the elite players, I'd be interested in hearing who you guys think are the best players this week for the U.S. And if there are some of these other captain's picks who we see on Wednesday night are not paired with those elite players, maybe we put a little bit more on on speed than we already have. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all of that makes sense. And I guess I'll, I'll let that carry us over into my bet this week and get some of your thoughts. So just humor me here for a second as I run through some of these things. So we kind of all agree Xander and Cantley are likely to play together, right? Yeah, definitely. All right. So we can say that Thomas and Speed then in everything that Nick laid out will play together. At least this is for Thursday. I mean, past that, anything is up for grabs with it. The third team that I do think will be put together, which is a little bit different from what you said, Roberto. I believe Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns will be a group together now. I think Horschel 
and Burns, maybe if you put them in like four ball together, maybe that's a route that they take on a Saturday or, or even on, you know, Friday during that. But that will leave us with six golfers of Max Homa, Cameron Young, Colin Morikawa, Tony Finau, Kevin Kisner, and Billy Horschel. I don't believe they're going to sit Morikawa on Thursday. It seems likely to me that they're going to try to recreate that Ryder Cup magic between him and Dustin Johnson by probably pairing him with a Balmer in alternate shot. That's going to eliminate Kisner and Horschel. I think those are probably, for what it's worth, too, the two that are going to sit. I'm hoping, for the sake of this bet, that Finau is not the one that's paired with them. Although I do think Finau does pair nicely with Morikawa because of some of the proximity numbers. I'll let you go, Nick. Yeah, what do you think about Morikawa and Cam Young for alternate shot? He looks a little bit like DJ too, so I feel like that. It's just, just do it. You know, let's do that. Well, that's what I'm hoping for with my bet. I'm hoping that it's it's Morikawa and Cam Young. I think that's a perfect pairing together. I don't know if that's what it will be. That means that it would be Finau and Homa. I think as the last group playing together. So if we look at it like that, I think that Finau can be the player that can kind of take that second six and be the captain of that group, if you want to call it that. But one of the things that I really liked about my model when I ran some of the numbers is Finau's the number one player for me when it comes to his projected, I guess the condensed way to say it, we won't go with the fancy route here. The condensed way to say that would be he is the most compatible person of anybody on the United States team if you just want to throw him with any random person. And then that's going to be like an advantageous pairing for it. So You know, I think if Burns struggles early, he could go with Scotty Scheffler. I think if Spieth ends up struggling early, which I know we've talked about some of the upside that Spieth possesses, but I think all of a sudden Finau could be making that pairing with Thomas. And all of a sudden these matches start compounding on top of each other. I wouldn't be shocked if Finau has his coming out party this week on the international stage. I bet him at 10 to one on bet three, six, five to be the top United States player. Yes. You're probably going to have to have some of that all come together for it to come to fruition there. But I like Finau's game. I, I love the way that he pairs with people. And I think that a lot of the matchups that you're going to get, you may not get the Sungjae Ms matched up against them on the other side. You might get some of these softer matchups depending on how they take it. And this is all hypotheticals. Like we're playing a hypothetical game right now, but hypothetically speaking, if the only two players in my model that are projected to be safer options, that would be Xander and Cantley. They're kind of tied by the hip all week together. So give me Finau at 10 to one. And I'm kind of going to hope for Scheffler and Thomas to have some volatility in their matchups to where Finau can slide all over the board. I like it. It makes a lot of sense. Finau has gained strokes on the greens in six straight events. And we've known that that's what's held him back from becoming that elite level player. And of course, he's got two wins in those last five events. So people have said, well, Tony Finau won those events. They're not the most competitive fields at the 3M Open and the Rocket Mortgage. And something that came out on Sunday evening with Max Homa hearing voices or reading stuff on Twitter where people said, oh, he wouldn't have been on the President's Cup team if these guys didn't defect to live, which I don't think is true. But these guys are looking for something to put a little chip on their shoulder. Maybe Tony Finau's got something where he's saying, hey, I won those events, but now's my chance to do it in a field full of alphas and say, I'm that guy. I like it a lot. I like it. I like it, Spencer. And I think it's the game fits the field, fits the course, and the putter coming around is huge for him too. Yeah, number two in my model in strokes gained T to green over his last 24 rounds. He's also number two in approach over the last 24 rounds and number one in strokes gained total over the last 24 rounds. So that's a complete combination of what you're looking for out of a golfer. And not to keep touching and harping on the same point, but if you look at speed, 
there's only so many golfers that I think he can theoretically be paired with. Like Finau being able to go across the board. And that's why I would be careful on trying to bet like some of these long shots to be the top USA scorer. I think there's only so many players that actually have a chance here. Like it's your Scheffler, it's your Thomas, it's probably Xander and Cantlay. And then I think the fifth one that is the most likely one of the other group would be Finau there. So that's kind of where I'm going there. I'm just picking some value off. You can get 11 to one right now on bet three, six, five as well. So that's a fantastic price on Tony Finau, top USA point scorer. I think I'm going to punch that ticket right now. Let's lock it in. Guys, anybody else that we're looking to back this league before we identify players whom we might think is are undervalued or we want to fade? The only other play that I've made right now, so I'm riding with Spencer on Tony Finau. I think he made excellent points. I really hope the soft matchup thing comes to fruition because he could really take a lot of points there. I like Cameron Davis, top international captain's pick at plus 350. Similar to why I like guys like JT and, and Jordan Spieth. He's got elite distance off the tee. Great expected proximity numbers, according to my model, in comparison to all the other guys as the international captain's picks. He was very good at Quill Hollow last year, tied 26 when he really started to come around and, and be a little bit more of a name on the PGA Tour and great Bermuda putting. So out of the, the international captain's picks are kind of weak, in my opinion, and Cam Davis just stands out, especially on a course where distance matters, accuracy really doesn't, and the Bermuda putting is obviously going to be very important. So I like Cam Davis plus 350 as the top international captain's pick. Yeah, that's the other play that I was going to mention too. And Cam Davis's numbers across the board are just what you're hoping to see for this course. So if we look at the last 24 rounds and I said this last week on the show, but I run my numbers over a two-year perspective. So this is taking the field over a two-year perspective and then it's condensing it down and looking at the last 24 rounds to see who's actually making the jump in my model. So Cameron Davis is eight spots better in strokes gain total, nine spots better tee to green, nine spots better off the tee, five spots better approach and seven spots better around the green. And we even see that just when we look from the complete combination of what we have from him as a golfer, we know the distance is going to be there. His weighted proximity places him fifth in this field, which is second from the international squad. The only player that would be better for me would be Adam Scott and the Cameron Davises of the world, Taylor Pendrith, especially if Taylor Pendrith gets paired with like a Corey Connors. I think that can be an interesting duo together there. So like Davis, Pendrith, Scott, those are probably the three guys that I'm trying to find in head-to-head matchups. And if you can find one of these specialty markets, sign me up for them there also. Yeah, on a similar wavelength. I'm looking at among the captain's picks and for everybody at home, the captain's picks on the international side were KH Lee, Siwoo Kim, Taylor Pendrith, Cam Davis, and Christian Bezadenhout, and Sebastian Munoz. We've mentioned that Siwoo Kim, Bezadenhout, Munoz are all guys that we don't love, which means that Davis, Pendrith, and KH Lee are the other ones left. I don't think... Anybody feels super great about KH Lee, at least we haven't said anything about him yet. But Pendrith and Davis fit the mold as guys who fit this course really long off the tee, been playing pretty good golf relatively lately. Might have had a little bit of a look ahead week last week. We're in football season. We know how that works a little bit sometimes. (laughs) These are guys who I'm going to look at on Wednesday night when I see whom they're paired with. And there's been some speculation, as Spencer said, about Corey Connors potentially being with Taylor Pendrith and seeing what kind of matchup they draw. If they run to the buzzsaw that is Shoffley and Cantley, maybe I won't place a bet on them. And instead I'll bet on Cam Davis. I'll join you guys on him as the top international captain's pick points getter. But I'm going to be looking for those matchups to determine which were those two guys I want back for that bet. Let me ask you guys this really quick. I'll ask another question. So who do you think would be the best player that Cameron Davis could get paired with on Thursday? 
I'd like him with Adam Scott. Take the experience of Adam Scott. Like take it. the the really good year that Cam Davis had and, and how he fits this course. I feel like that'd probably be my my ideal pairing. If I can get those two together, they're going to be a dog in likely any matchup that they're in, I would assume. So I'd really like that pairing. I think that'd be fun. I think every international team is going to be a dog other than maybe against like the Kisner Horschel. And we're going to be able to count it on one hand how many times the international team is favored in a matchup. And maybe in singles, you can find the right one where Kisner is going to be an underdog. And Nick, you and I talked about this a lot during match play. I had a massive rollover going on Corey Connors that got buzzsawed at the very end by Kevin Kisner there. Just draining 30 footers all day long. That guy's just, he's, <laughs> he just, he's stones in match play. He's very good at that. So, and he's been okay at Quail Hollow, wasn't he? He was leading in tournament here. I want to say, I just, it's, I think it just came. doesn't matter. And that was, that was like an older or a younger Kevin Kisner. I should say he's just been in really bad form and does not impress me anymore, but the match play history is there. I shouldn't say this on air for when Kevin Kisner plays every match, but Kevin Kisner, in my opinion, the most overrated match play golfer in the world. Take that for what it's worth. (laughs) I like it. Who else are we fading this week, guys? This is kind of where it gets counterintuitive for me a little bit because I do think that there's a realistic chance that Finau gets paired with Morikawa and it's going to go against what I'm going to say here, but I think Morikawa is a fade for me, at least when I'm looking at what the public perceives him to be and what my model expectations are. He's the biggest differential I have. Hideki Matsuyama, the same thing, especially if Matsuyama and Tom Kim end up being a pairing. I've seen a lot of buzz for Tom Kim. I don't know if this is the best course for him either. So maybe we can get one of those United States squads. Like, I mean, give me a Tony Finau and Max Homa against Hideki and Tom Kim laying a little bit of juice there. Like sign me up for that. Maybe have a little bit more realistic options. Maybe Scheffler and Burns go a little bit overrated. That kind of goes into my mentality of what I'm thinking of. You know, Finau might be able to slide into Scheffler as a partner there. We know Burns and Bermuda, those two things go together. Spieth is a little bit overrated, which is why I think Finau can go with Justin Thomas. But it's going to be the Americans from a value perspective. You're not going to look maybe other than the Hideki matchup with whoever he gets. You're not going to look at these international squads and like you're going to have massive favorites across the board. And if I can find an Adam Scott and Cameron Davis and they're plus 170 against anybody in the field, like I'll take my chance. Match play is very wonky. And those two guys do pair nicely together. I wanted to ask, who do you guys think Cameron Young might play with this week? I'm hoping Morikawa. I think that's the best Same. pairing, but it's probably the most realistic, unfortunately, that they put Finau and Morikawa together. And then they probably put, I guess, Cameron Young with Max Homa. I don't know how much I love that. It's like, it's a fine pairing. Those are two golfers that are inside the top 10 of my model. But I think if you're trying to get the most out of everybody, stick Cameron Young with Morikawa. Let one be the pristine iron player. Let the other one bomb it away. And you kind of have the ultimate pairing of what DJ and Morikawa created. Yeah, I want to see who Cam Young's paired with. And maybe if he goes up against one of the bigger names on the international side. If we can get something near plus money or even with a plus sign in front of it, I think that's something that I'm going to be eyeing as we know he's a guy who can make birdies in bunches. We've seen him jump out to leads in tournaments on Thursdays throughout the year. We saw him take that eight under par lead at the open, although St. Andrew's going to be playing very different from this course. We know that his game travels and he can play on pretty much any kind of track. He's someone who doesn't have that win yet, so maybe he doesn't have the full buy-in from the public. And maybe we can get a good price on him in the right matchup, but I don't necessarily want to bet him as a favorite. I'd love to see him against Hideki, like Hideki and whoever and Cameron Young and whoever. And 
my guess would be a slight favorite there. But even if they are, like, I'm fine laying that minus 120 juice. I think that that's kind of what we would be looking at in that range. And I agree with everything you said, Roberto. Cameron Young's game should theoretically fit this property perfectly. Anything else we want to touch on here in Peacup? Any other exotic bets uh, before we do a quick Sanderson Farms look ahead? Probably not for me. It's such a difficult tournament from a betting perspective. Like, we can talk about all these fun hypotheticals that can come into play, but everything's going to be thrown for a loop tomorrow when we see these random pairings that nobody thought. And we were all like, oh yeah, Xander and Cantley are obviously going to be paired together. And all of a sudden they're not. And it's like, well, what just happened? So just keep an eye on that. I think the best way to bet this tournament is from a head-to-head perspective. I still don't necessarily think that this is the greatest betting tournament even from looking at that. But no, I think that the international squad, if they want any chance, they're going to have to go into the singles play with the lead. I don't know if that's doable. I think that you do have massive advantages and you probably have the bottom end of their squad. That's a little bit weaker from all the players that we've mentioned, but I don't know if you can keep them close enough. Match play is weird. You know, you take that lead into Sunday and all of a sudden you, you steal a match here and there. And you know, that's why the minus 700 really isn't doable at that point. Like I'm never laying minus 700 in any bet. Maybe if I'm fighting Floyd Mayweather and you put Floyd Mayweather <laughs> at minus 700, sure, lay the juice there. But this is golf. These are professionals against each other. It's close enough to where it, like, it doesn't make sense. And by the way, even still, I might have a puncher's chance. I'm not going to count myself out of that. <laughs> Nick, anything you'd like to add before Sanderson Farms? Uh, maybe other one other prop that I really don't want to get too invested in is top international debutante scorer being Cam Davis at six to one. Tom Kim's a favorite at three to one. Like Spencer said, I don't think this is like he doesn't hit it very long. So I just feel like there's tons of value on Cam Davis, especially there. Corey Connors is probably my model's favorite in that market there. But Tom Kim being the favorite just seems like a little too much steam on a guy that we really haven't seen a whole lot from what we've seen has been great, but it's, I don't know. I, I do not like his game off the tee for this, this venue here. You know, Nick, if you want to take like the Morikawa approach or if the international squad wants to take that approach, Cameron Davis and Tom Kim is kind of a fun pairing with each other. That would be fun. I don't think they'll do that. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like, I don't think they'll ever take that aggressive route of going like that extra mile of doing something completely outside of the box. I think it's much more likely that Immelman looks and they kind of just see what the flag is in front of the player. And, you know, Scott and Davis goes together. The two Canadians go together. And all of a sudden, like all these pairings are the most comfortable that can be made rather than the most upside that can be made to them. Yeah, I can't argue that. And we're trying to get the most upside on our picks. So we're going to do a quick look ahead to the Sanderson Farms, which is next week at the Country Club of Jackson in Mississippi. As you know, our podcast drops on Wednesday mornings which unfortunately sometimes a bet at 150 to one is down to hundred to one at that time after it opens on Monday, because sharps have been hammering it. And we want to give you guys the chance to be one of those people who gets the best value when odds drop on Monday morning. So as we said, the Sanderson farms is at the country club of Jackson. It's a 7,400 yard par 72 with fast Bermuda grass greens. Winner has been, at 18 under par or lower in each of the last six seasons. It's got small Donald Ross greens and bomb and gouge guys might be the play. Spencer, what do you think about the course and who you might be eyeing? You kind of said it best. I think this bomb and gouge approach is the best way to go about it. Players only hit 54% of fairways, but the lack of rough doesn't present many issues for the field 
we've seen before guys like Sergio Garcia, Sebastian Munoz, Cameron Champ. Those were the previous three winners before last year. All of them got a hot putter to go along with that. The other thing that I noticed that's at least worth pointing out there, and I took a deeper dive last season. I haven't looked into what happened last year, but I would assume it's very similar with that. The last five winners before last year had combined to be 97 under par during their wins. That's going to highlight the birdie fest, but it's important to figure out where the scoring's coming from. And 47.5% of those totals of the 97 under took place on the four par fives. And then the additional 11.5% came from the singular short par four 15th. There was a player in that mix, Cody Gribble, that skewed the data a little bit, but that's 59% of the winning total coming at those five holes. So I released my model early for everybody to play around with, and we'll get a better idea of the field when it closes on Friday. But find par five scores, find the guys that hit the ball far. Some of this fast Bermuda putting, I think can get thrown into the mix there. But I think if you hammer those three things out, that's probably your best likelihood chance to find the player. And they're going to be weaker fields for the most part. Like I know you have golfers that are going to be coming to these tournaments, but there's going to be a hundred to one plus golfers when the market leaks that they're going to be long off the tee. They're going to be quality par five scores we're looking for in the fast Bermuda and if you can find that player, I think that's where the value is going to stem from early in the week. I love it. I'm on a similar angle. I'm looking at some guys who are longer. One guy who impressed in his PGA Tour debut, at least as someone with a full card, Taylor Montgomery shot that. I think it was yeah. a 64 in the last round at Fortinet. I'm going to be looking at him. If I can get him at anything more than 50 to one, I'll take a nibble at him. Will Gordon and Carl Yuan, also guys off the Corn Ferry Tour or rookies on tour this year. If I can get them down to Anything better than 80 to one, I'll definitely take a nibble. And then I'm also looking at Cam Young. He finished really high up there last year. He finished in a tie for second, which has been his glass ceiling so far. Not sure if he'll play the week after the President's Cup. Same with Taylor Pendrith. But if I can get those guys anything better than 25 to one, those are guys who I'm going to put some money on. This is a brilliant Taylor Pendrith course. So I think he's somebody to keep in mind if he does play. A guy like Luke List adds that distance. Maybe just a name to look at. Love it. Guys, anything else we want to add before we sign off this week? Is uh, Trey Mullinex going to be in the field? I know now that he won an event, his his pricing's not what it used to be when I was betting him last year, brokenhearted. But if he's in the field, I feel like that's a guy that should set up really well here. His putting on Bermuda is usually better than his average, I should say. I know he's not a good putter, but he really came into form at the end of last season. So I'd be looking at Trey Mullinex. So we could get like an opener... Like an 80 to one, I'd, I doubt it because we don't know how strong or weak this field will be. But if I can get an 80 to one number on Molinax, I think I'd fire away there. Awesome. We'll keep an eye out for Trey Molinax. And in case you didn't know, you can find the fields released for the upcoming PGA Tour tournament on PGA Tour's website on Friday afternoons, normally at around five o'clock when the field goes final. So keep an eye on that, figure out who you want to bet. And then among those players, and then Monday morning comes and it's time to cash in. And so that'll do it for us here on the Links and Locks podcast presented by Bet365. We'll look forward to catching you next week before the Sanderson Farms. Hope all of your President's Cup bets win this week, and we'll see you next Wednesday morning. Take care.